the BioWorld Insider Podcast. This is the BioWorld Insider Podcast, and I'm Lynn Yaffe, BioWorld's publisher. The FDA's June approval of Aduhelm, the first plaque-targeting therapy for Alzheimer's disease, brought some rough waters to the company, Biogen, and the biopharma market. There are many lessons to be learned from that approval and the ensuing fallout. So we've brought together two experts to get their thoughts on what lessons Aduhelm's regulatory approval brought to the market. Today, BioWorld staff writer Lee Landenberger is talking with Michael Ajidanian, who is the president of the startup Neurovax, which is developing antibodies to prevent Alzheimer's and Parkinson's disease. He's the vice president and head of immunology department at the Institute for Molecular Medicine, which incubated Neurovax. We also have Robert Glansman, who's the chief medical officer of Clean Nanomedicine. That company is developing a nanotherapeutic for Parkinson's disease. Previously, he's with Geneuro, Rush, and Novartis. Welcome to our podcast. Lee, over to you. Thanks, Lynn. I'm lucky to be sitting with two gentlemen who are deeply involved in running companies and clinical development of vaccines and therapies for dementias. And we are looking ahead to 2022 and trying to sort our way through what uh, the wake of Adjahelm, which has presented certain problems and maybe even some opportunities for those who are developers, such as you two. And Michael, I wanted to start with you. I want to ask about regulatory approval and approaching the FDA and the EMA. Uh, some say the trust in the FDA has been damaged in the process of approving Adjahelm. And I wonder if, uh, if there's a certain way you're approaching uh, your development to avoid the, some of the problems that Adjahelm encountered? Uh, yeah, that's a very important question. So I would like to respond to that slightly differently. So first of all, uh, we need to understand that still the amyloid theory is a major idea of the initiation of uh, Alzheimer's disease. So it's obviously oligomerization of beta amyloid is a key element of starting the process of pathology, which is followed by tau aggregation and accumulation, as well as other uh, processes, including inflammation and severe neurodegeneration. So saying that, so, a beta is probably the early event of the starting cascade of processes. And when it started, so it's very difficult to stop. So basically, work which is done with immunotherapy, including AM1792 trial, is a pioneering course of Dr. Schenk uh, from Elan, oh, which showed that uh, immunotherapy may reduce the pathology in mice first. And then 14-year study showed that even they stopped the trial because area age and area E, they still can see clearance of pathology. So we know for sure that antibody are clearing of pathology. We do not know exactly mechanism of that, but removal of amyloid from the brain by antibody specific to A beta and even tau, it is definitely shown. So we need to come up with that. And secondly, the A-beta theory is supported by many genetic uh, mechanisms. For example, <clears throat> it's well known that uh, people um, 
with uh, uh, Down syndrome people with trisomy of uh, 21st chromosome, which has a uh, uh, APP gene, uh, actually more APP gene, they get. Um, 75% of adults are with Down syndrome. So they, so this, what is trying to tell that a beta theory is kind of still the major theory which we have for Alzheimer's disease. Yes, we have other processes which is extremely important, but that's coming next. So therefore, the aducunumab, which was developed against human, fully human antibody which has developed against the N-terminal region is very important that it was in clinic and it show clearance of amyloid in the brain of treated people. So that part is for me clear. So pathology is we can clear. The problem which they have actually with aducunumab is two. First of all, there is no clinical effect of that, and uh, therefore it's not clear for me why FDA approve it. The second problem which I do have is that um, the extremely high dose of antibody which they are using, and, and they are very high, 10 milligram per kilogram, uh, so that dose is inducing still ARIA-H and ARIA-E, and uh, that's another uh, side effect problem which uh, may actually stop to do that, uh, stop to treat the people with other, with other criminal. And also cost of this, this is incredibly high, it's like $56,000, I guess. And uh, so that's also a big um, obstacle for the using of monoclonal antibody. So basically talking all this together, I would say that monoclonal antibody may work in late stages, but we need to learn to deliver the monoclonal antibody directly into the brain. Because uh, going with a very high dose, specifically tau, we're talking about gram now, to put it into the people it every uh, month or every three months, it's impractical and unlikely even uh, feasible. I, I don't know how we can do that. However, from all this monoclonal antibody boss and uh, anti-beta and anti-tau, we learn a lot. Uh, so we learned, as I mentioned, that we can clear the pathology in the brain. We learned that we should start as prevention instead of uh, uh, treatment. Uh, therapy and uh, prevention could not be done by monoclonal antibody simply because it will be extremely expensive, uh, dangerous because side effect, and impractical because everyone wants to go to doctor's office and infuse uh, monoclonal antibody. It's not uh, practical, definitely for me at least. Uh, at the same time, a vaccine which is we are using for hundred years, so it's working very well. If vaccine is immunogenic and inducing good immune response in people, maybe that's an alternative of um, uh, monoclonal antibody therapy. So that's what I think we are doing. We are moving instead of uh, working with monoclonal antibody, we're making uh, immunogenic vaccine which can induce uh, strong and uh, immune responses produce enough antibody daily, because it's a long-lasting process, it will produce antibody long period of time, 
and then booster injection can always keep it steady and this way you can protect people from aggregation of amyloid and tau and uh, at least delays the disease uh, uh, start up at least delay delays alzheimer's disease uh, so that is, uh, that is, I think, our point. That's what we are trying to do for last 20 years. Thank you. So, Robert Glansman, at Clean, are you doing the same thing to avoid troubles <laughs> that Adjuhelm or Aducanumab had by doing the science differently? And, and I assume you think it's better. Yeah, look, the amyloid hypothesis has been beat to death. You know, 15 years ago, uh, I think, um, Michael, you're probably involved in this you know, Elan had a vaccine to amyloid beta. Uh, the trial was stopped because of uh, a 1% risk of encephalitis. But when we looked at pathology in those patients uh, post, um, you know, there was no amyloid beta in those brains at all, in the, in the brains of those patients who died. Uh, it was completely cleared. And if you look at the cognitive score, cognitive scores of those patients, they were just as demented as everybody else. So we've known for 20 years that the amyloid hypothesis is simply incorrect. Um, and that may be because amyloid is actually a result of Alzheimer's disease and not a cause of Alzheimer's disease. But companies have spent billions of dollars and have very successfully developed antibodies and other immunotherapies to clear amyloid from the brain. And none of those therapies have ever been shown to have any significant effect on cognition. Uh, when I was at Roche, uh, I can tell you we spent a lot of money doing PET studies uh, with gantanerumab. Gantanerumab was highly effective in clearing amyloid beta in the brain. Based on, and based on PET studies, we looked for any correlation to clinical effect in those PET studies and couldn't find any. So the, the, it's simply an incorrect theory. It's time we put it to bed. Um, here at CLEAN, we're not working at amyloid beta at all. We're trying to allow cells that are compromised to make more ATP. You know, ATP is the monetary exchange of energy within cells. And if you allow cells to make ATP, they can do their own housekeeping and they can clear amyloid beta just fine by themselves. We've shown in multiple preclinical models that we that we can that cells by just by giving neurons the ability to generate ATP in the setting of stress, they can uh, do their own uh, protein clearing. So um, Adihelm is a tragedy, I think, for the community. I think um, it's uh, I think the neurodivision is going to go down in infamy uh, for the approval of this drug. I don't think it's uh, I think the, the problem is, of course, it's not a benign therapy. 40% uh, risk of area. Area is simply a uh, euphemism for, you know, intracerebral hemorrhage. We're looking at microhemorrhage because, of course, amyloid doesn't just build up in the brain. It builds up in the blood vessels. And any, uh, any immunotherapy that you uh, attempt for clearance of amyloid in the brain is going to, you know, uh, impact blood vessels and cause, you know, either hemorrhage or encephalitis or both. So, um, you know, this is not a benign therapy. There's already been one death in the post-marketing uh, database, and that's only the beginning. So you're looking at literally billions of dollars being wasted uh, from our healthcare system. You're looking at, you know, people being, uh, you know, the last thing you want for an 80-year-old person who's demented is to give them microhemorrhage. So uh, it's not a, you know, it, it's a tragedy, I think, and it's going to go down as such, and I think it's something we're just going to have to live with for a while. And Robert, what is your alternative? Well, the alternative is to find out what the actual pathology, instigating pathology of Alzheimer's okay. is. So you don't know, right? Nobody knows, my friend. And so that's very funny. No, it's nobody knows, but we do know that uh, amyloid theory is a fact by genetic uh, data. Scientifically, today, 
amyloid theory is only one which is showing that Alzheimer's disease is related with aggregation A beta and tau. I am not saying only, but I am saying it's only theory which is approved by the genetic markers. We're making mice with APP mutation, and this mice has exactly the same thing which you have. We have bigenic animals with A beta and tau. They lost the memory, they have A beta, they have tau, and this is all human, it is working very well. In San Salvador, there is a, a, a village in a rural area. In that area, all people who has a mutation in APP, they have Alzheimer's disease. You cannot fight that. This is science. There are some other ideas, and you are welcome to discuss these ideas, and I will be glad to hear that. Yeah, look, you're right. Let's let's get to the science. The science is that, you know, there have been billions of dollars spent on clinical trials with amyloid clearing uh, mechanisms, all of which were highly successful. I mean, look, aducanumab is not the first monoclonal, monoclonal antibody to clear A-beta in the brain. It's not even the best monoclonal antibody to clear A-beta in the brain. And none of these uh, studies have ever shown any relationship between clearing A-beta in the brain and clinical uh, effect. That's the problem, my friend. It's science. The science shows that it simply doesn't work. Of course, of course, you are right. That's what I said at the beginning. It is the problem. The problem is, if we would like to come to the bottom of this problem, we need to start to immunize people decades before they will start the amyloid aggregation. And that will prove is that working or not? Because then you at least can delay the disease. By the way, uh, Robert, I never heard that any monoclonal antibody or even uh, vaccine can cure the people as if used as therapeutic model. Only vaccines which are preventive. You, are you vaccinated with COVID or you don't believe in vaccine? No, no, no. Look, uh, COVID is not Alzheimer's disease. No, let's, no, let's, let's that's the old story. Things. It's the same story. Vaccine is a prevention. It's not therapy. That's the whole problem. You would like to use monoclonal antibody as therapy. It doesn't work. Of course, it will not work. It may help in case of, for example, cancer, but that's a different story because you are basically what are you doing with checkpoint inhibitor? You're using monoclonal antibody against checkpoint inhibitor and activate immune system. And your own immune system is take care of your cancer. The same thing here. I am absolutely sure that our own immune system is putting some people in situation when they get Alzheimer's disease and they put other people when they have impaired immune system to Alzheimer's disease. So antibody are working but they are not for treatment, they are for prevention, Robert. If you can give me other idea about Alzheimer's disease and we can target something else, I will be glad to discuss that. Uh, yeah, certainly. So, I mean, I can tell you, we have preclinical data certainly showing that simply uh, allowing cortical neurons under stress to make ATP, they can clear their own, they can clear their own uh, uh, misfolded protein. So that's true in multiple models, not just Alzheimer's disease. So look, look, if you're right and you can vaccinate people at the age of 20 and that will prevent Alzheimer's disease, great, do the experiment and show the data. Because right now, you know, your hypothesis is just like everybody else's hypothesis. It's a hypothesis. So if you want to do the experiment- It is not it. hypothesis. That hypothesis tested in animal, in five animal models. 
And we are, if we got just a grant from NIH for uh, $14 million to try the report to this, we are working with dual vaccine. We will start with preclinical AD. It's true, we are not going to get data in the next four or five years, or even maybe seven years, because you need to wait, because uh, we are going to immunize people uh, at preclinical uh, stage. And that is why, obviously, you are right. It's not a simple thing. But that hypothesis I came with 2007. If we will start that time, we probably will learn a lot. Unfortunately, we didn't, but I do understand why, because majority of uh, uh, big pharma, which you work with, uh, I didn't, they were saying we need 25 years to understand if your hypothesis is right or not. Thankfully, today, the situation has changed. Thankfully, today, we have a biomarkers, and we have really interesting biomarkers. And saying that Alzheimer's and A-beta and tau doesn't make sense, you cannot say simply because biomarkers showed that. We have a biomarkers now for brain, which is PET scan. We have biomarkers for CSF, which is ELISA. And we have a biomarkers in blood, which is much more interesting, which is ELISA com uh, combined with immunoprecipitation in, and LCMSMS uh, analytical technology. And all this is for the last five years. And this biomarkers is changing whole field. Now we can go ahead and do what uh, you said, immunize 20, not maybe 20, but 40 years old people with APOE4 uh, positive, for example, that's a genetic biomarker. And then look back to that, look to go better and see what's happened with biomarkers. Maybe that, will, and again, obviously you are right, this is all experiment, but saying that it's spent uh, hundreds of million dollars or billions of dollars without uh, reason, it's, it's, it's not entirely correct. I think that money spent because Alzheimer's disease is very difficult disease, because it's very difficult to cure that, because we do not know much, but because of immunotherapy and an excellent work of Dr. Shank, which was published in Nature in 1999, we are now learn much, much more about the, uh, about the Alzheimer's. We know about TREM2 now. We know about microphages. We know about inflammation more. This is all because his work and immunotherapy. So I kind of agree that we need to open our eye and find other other indicate other molecules, other changes in the body which is bringing to Alzheimer, and I am completely 100% uh, agree with you. But uh, please do not uh, say that amyloid theory is completely completely wrong. It is not. It is uh, supported by solid science. Uh, Robert, let me let me ask you a question. You know the. Um... The, the full clinical trial data for Edgehelm hasn't been published yet. And I, I'm curious, does that affect anything with, with what you're doing? And I'm also curious about how important getting peer-reviewed data is in getting your story out to everyone else. Those are two questions. So certainly, I'll take the second first. Certainly get, having peer-reviewed publications is important because that allows, that means that presumably, you know, independent, um, knowledgeable people have reviewed you know your experiments and they've shown that you know you've looked they've looked for compounds and that you've done a good job looking for compounds and have appropriately done the experiment and appropriately analyzed the data i think peer review is is important peer review isn't always perfect it does fail at times so it's not perfect but it's the best mechanism we have i think for independent review and like i always say you know if you if your if your data aren't replicated it's not science it's art 
until your data are replicated, it's not science. Um, so that's uh, in terms of the you know add to help full data set. Honestly, they I mean I think the the most positive spin possible on these data have already been published. So um, I think the data are what they are. Um, and of course, the problem is that the subgroup that they found that had some benefit. And of course, when you look at subgroups in studies, um, the history of actually taking sub positive subgroups and then um, planning phase three programs based on those subgroups uh, is not good. <laughs> Generally, those studies fail. So I think, uh, you know, and Biogen now is 10 years to do, the, to, to do another pivotal trial to, to try and prove that their, that their uh, high dose subgroup actually has an effect. So in the meantime, uh, you know, a lot of people are going to be harmed. But uh, I think, um, you know, uh, the data are what they are. Uh, you know, the studies were actually stopped by the DSMB for futility. Um, I think that tells you something uh, that independent people uh, did not think that there was any potential for benefit, you know, in this program. Um, so I think, you know, it's again, you're basing the approval on a biomarker that has never been shown to have any relevance to clinical benefit. And that's a problem. Michael, let me ask you a question. This is a follow-up on something you mentioned earlier. We're talking about cost. And I'm curious uh, about cost abatement uh, for these kind of therapies and vaccines in the coming year or so. Do you, do you see any, any rolling back of costs? Well, uh, with monoclonal antibody, it will be difficult to expect anything. But, uh, uh, Lynn, I mentioned that uh, I do not believe on uh, therapy with monoclonal antibody at all. That, that I am 100% with Robert. I mean, what is the point every month or every three months inject uh, 10 milligram per kilogram, and this is for aducanumab? In Tau, for example, yeah, they're using grams. So it, it's extremely high concentration of immunoglobulin. They're putting intravenously into the pupil every month or every three months. That, that's impractical, and it would be extremely, extremely expensive. Uh, so they came before, I think, with 80,000. They, they reduced for 53. Even you will go down for 30,000. It's still extremely expensive. And um, vaccine is, uh, is uh, actually very cheap. It, you're talking about small fraction of that. You probably talk about $1,000 or $500, $1,200. Uh, and then you need a vaccine only two times, three times, uh, one injection, one booster, and then maybe hopefully yearly or every six months another boost. So that, that's not expensive at all. I uh, think that's very affordable. But uh, of course, uh, to, we are far away from that because there are only, um, actually there are not a good vaccine now in market because they are not immunogenic. The problem is that elderly people has immunosenescence. The T cell response of elderly people is going down, specifically naive T cells, and memory T cells is going up. Uh, and if you target if you take self antigen, you have also problem with uh, uh, not recognizing self, which is uh, Benazerafide, which he got Nobel Prize, that self is, uh, has a tolerance and non-self you can generate immune response. So that is why people should do the trick to generate good response in elderly people with immunosenescence. 
But in general, vaccine costs should be extremely low. It's not comparable with monoclonal antibody. And monoclonal antibody, even uh, I know uh, one person from Iran, he was a senior vice president. He was a uh, recently calculated amount of the amount of the plant manufacturing, which you can prepare the um, uh, monoclonal antibody. So I guess even that it's a, a, a big problem. So you cannot produce so much uh, GMP grade product monoclonal antibody. Uh, in CHO cells uh, for the, to, to cover entire population every month or every two months or every three months, injecting this so much in monoclonal into the, into the intravenously. So, Robert, you have similar discussions over a clean about, you know, final costs for everyone and keeping them down. Yeah, no, absolutely. So I cleaned it a little bit of a unique situation. The manufacturing is the secret. That's the secret sauce, being able to manufacture clean surfaced, uh, pure, uh, you know, nanocrystals or transition metals, which means stable and aqueous suspension without the addition of any excipients or anything on their surface is really the trick. And so, um, but, you know, the way we put our cost of goods is it's somewhere uh, north of a small molecule and south of a monoclonal antibody and where that lands exactly. We'll have to wait until we adapt to scale to, to find out. But I think I, I agree, totally agree with my colleague here that monoclonal antibodies versus vaccine, you know, I, the vaccine approach is a much cleaner, it's a much more elegant approach. It's a much better approach. And I think, you know, if the if this uh, approach is going to be uh, uh, positive at all, it's going to be exactly as my colleague suggests, you you would immunize people with a vaccine, you know, while they're young. That should, that should, that should be safer because there's less amyloid you know, build up in blood vessels, so you should have less, you know, microhemorrhage, encephalitis, and presumably it should be more effective because whatever those processes are, um, you're catching them earlier in the, in the course. Now, you know, again, I don't want to really debate the amyloid hypothesis. Um, there is a lot of animal data to support it. There's negative, multiple negative trials in human beings to refute it. So it's not something we're going to solve here today. Okay. Well, let me ask you both the one last question. So when you're looking ahead, giving everything that's happened to Adjahome in the last year, at the very least, what are the implications for other Alzheimer's drugs in the pipeline? Uh, Robert, why don't you go first? Well, uh, you know, if, if, if the FDA is now ready to approve drugs for uh, severe diseases based on biomarkers, that is a huge um, change from where they've been in the past you know, in my experience, and I've been around a while. So in my experience, you know, you always needed to show substantial evidence of efficacy, you know, on a clinically relevant endpoint. I mean, that's always been the, that's always been the, you know, that's always been the bar that, that seemed to have changed. So, you know, if it's going to change for, for Alzheimer's disease, you would think it would certainly change for ALS. Um, you would certainly, you know, which is a universally fatal disease. Um, so if you could convince FDA that you have a biomarker that, you know, is predictive of disease progression and you can show a benefit, you should be able to get an approval based on that. Now, I don't think that ALS has an imaging biomarker yet, uh, pet, a PET ligand yet, um, but there may be electrophysiology uh, measures that you could use, like things like motor unit estimation uh, that could that could be that are predictive in the proper hands. So uh, pr from a practical standpoint, I think um, the only real impact it would make in Alzheimer's research would be if you had to do studies with aducanumab as as uh, standard of care, uh, and then you would have to obviously beat aducanumab um, 
which I don't think would be difficult if you have a drug that's effective, but would be rather costly and rather challenging to actually implement a, implement a large Alzheimer's trial where you have to have an active comparator. It's much more difficult than placebo. So to me, that's the real practical implication. Uh, Michael, your thoughts about looking ahead, given everything that's happened with aducanumab, the implications for other drugs in the pipeline? I <laughs> I didn't work with FDA. I mean, I work with FDA when approve our clinical trials, but um, I didn't work um, in, inside the FDA. So I don't know how it's work. And as I said, I am not uh, MD. So obviously it's uh, very sad that uh, even uh, uh, clearance of uh, a pretty, um, pretty high clearance of uh, amyloid. For example, I think donanumab uh, clear so much that they stop injection of people with uh, this anti-pyroglutamated a beta uh, monoclonal humanized monoclonal antibodies. But anyway, I uh, I think um, we are learning a lot, as I mentioned, starting from 1999 when immunotherapy started. We're learning a lot about Alzheimer's disease. That's very, very important. Uh, we know now about uh, very important factors, inflammation. We know about macrophages, microgliomore. We know about TREM2, which is very important molecule. We know about APOE4, guys. We know that APOE4 is all because of immunotherapy. We know that APOE4 positive uh, uh, two, uh, two, two, two genes, uh, having two genes APOE4, you have a big chance to get Alzheimer's disease. And that's uh, making our life with uh, prevention easier because we can choose our way for people and, and test the uh, vaccines there. And so I would say immunotherapy and monoclonal antibody are very important to understanding and learning something. I agree with Robert, this is expensive. I agree with Robert, it takes a lot of time. And sometimes we're getting sad results. There's no clinical oh, clinical uh, effect on any people who are getting this monoclonal antibody. But at the same time, it's opening new avenue. And even Robert, who is against the theory, agree with me that the vaccine can be used at prevention and it has more sense. And I agree with him that too. And I think we should try and hopefully in the next uh, uh, seven, 10 years, we will understand are we right or Robert is right and we should completely stop thinking about amyloid and tau, which I guess uh, it will be, uh, it will not happen. And then uh, we will move to completely other direction. And again, but everything is possible, of course, this is very complex disease. This is very difficult disease. It's multifactorial disease. So unfortunately not simple, but when see, you see these people with this disease, and um, God forbid, if you will have a family in families with this disease, you will see how difficult is that, how much we need to work, and how much money we should spend to try to do that specifically in population when aging is becoming normal. Uh, Robert and Michael, great discussion on an incredibly complex uh, issue. And I want to thank you both for your time and for your insights. Thank you. Thanks, guys. Lynn, back to you. 
This has been a fascinating discussion. Thank you, Michael and Robert. We really appreciate your perspectives and your very passionate, intelligent conversation on the topic. As always, BioWorld will continue to keep you informed of all the most important scientific, clinical, and business updates in the field. So that's our show for today. If you need to track the development of drugs, turn to BioWorld.com, follow us on Twitter, or email us at newsdesk at BioWorld.com. Also, if you're enjoying the podcast, don't forget to subscribe. Thanks for joining us. BioWorld, published by Clarivate, is a subscription-based news service, but all of our COVID-19 content, over 6,000 articles and data entries since the start of the pandemic, are freely accessible. 